Hello, everyone in the HR world and beyond. This is Ricky Baez broadcasting from the A1A Beachfront Studios in sunny Orlando, Florida. Folks, I got to tell you, HR talk has come a long way. When we started this venture about three years ago, we never thought it was going to get as big as it is right now. You fast forward to today, we've been invited to host a bunch of red carpet events, some of which were Disrupt HR Orlando, Disrupt HR Gainesville, and Disrupt HR Buffalo, New York. That was cold up there. We've also covered uh, a, a lot of HR conferences, mainly last year in 2020. I was a speaker at the uh, HR Florida conference in um, in Central Florida, and the HR Talk podcast was there to cover the event. We had a lot of great conversations with a lot of the attendees, a lot of the speakers. It was just so much fun. We had so much fun, and I guess they liked it. They invited us again to uh, to go there this August at the Gaylord Palms here in Central Florida. So that's 2021 HR Florida conference in this August. August, the HR Talk podcast will be there as well. We've also covered Space Coast HR Conference in Melbourne, Florida. We were there in 2019. JC was the MC. I was speaking, and uh, we, we were both taking turns in the uh, HR Talk podcast booth, and we just had a blast. Again, we had such a great time that we were invited again for 2020, but the pandemic had different plans for us, so um, that was canceled. However, 2021 is coming up again, April 21st. JC is going to be the host. The HR Talk podcast show is going to be there. And there's tickets still available. If you're interested in that, just go to SpaceCoastHRConference.com. Again, that's SpaceCoastHRConference.com for details. Tickets are still available for that event. Um, and it's coming up on April 21st. So hurry up and get your spot. We will see you there. I guess what I'm trying to say is the support that we've received through these past three short years have been absolutely amazing. And JC and I are eternally grateful for that support. So as the show continues to grow, we want to make sure that we continue to provide the best balance of relevant HR and leadership strategies and entertainment to make this content tolerable. Folks, let's face it, HR is boring or it can be boring, but it doesn't have to be that way. So that's what JC and I bring to the table. We want to make sure that we keep this machine going to get that perfect balance of entertainment and HR and leadership strategies that everyone can relate to. That's why we've introduced several new segments to the show. Um, Some of the things that we've introduced, uh, uh, in addition to our flagship episodes that drops every Sunday, we now have a Facebook Live session airing every Wednesday at 7 p.m. It's only 30 minutes, and that's where intern Dave and I, we cover listener questions we've received throughout the week or interact with the listeners live and have just Q&A sessions during that broadcast. Another segment that we're going to introduce are called Friday Chats. Now, these are in-depth one-on-one interviews where we highlight key players in the HR or employment and labor law world. Some interviews are going to be conducted by JC, some of them by me, and whenever we have these interviews, they're going to be released on Friday, hence the name Friday Chats. Now, for the very first interview in this series, I got the amazing opportunity to sit down with a good friend of the show, David Miklas. Now, For those of you who don't know who David Miklas is, he is a labor and employment attorney out of Port St. Lucie, Florida. He specializes in defending discrimination and harassment claims, retaliations, EEOC, FLSA issues. Folks, trust me, he has seen it all. That's what makes him such a great expert, a great resource to help you protect yourself against these issues. These issues still do come up. It is 2021, and there are still organizations out there that they need this kind of training. They need this kind of advice, even in this day and age. 
In this interview, David and I discussed the key changes of the American Rescue Plan of 2021, or ARPA 2021, which was signed into law around, I think it was March 11th. And what we talked about is what HR professionals need to consider when amending their current policies to comply with these new changes. So, with that said, and without any further delay, here's David Miklas. Enjoy. Mr. David Miklas. Hey, Ricky. Sir, it's, 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 I would like to say it's been a while, but it hasn't. Um, I just saw you yesterday at Disrupt HR, uh, Daytona, uh, 2.0. That's right. Yeah. So this is, we need a, we need a trophy for people who's been doing this for a long time. So yesterday was your what? Seventh time? That's correct. Wow. 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 Is it as easy as the, as, as the first time or is no, it? No, no, it's, it's, it's still just as stressful. Honestly, I still prepare more. I spend more time preparing for that five-minute presentation than I do for any of my 55-hour-long presentations that I've given in the last year. <laughs> I bet. No, no, I bet. And, uh, and, and it's uh, what you talked about yesterday kind of opened my eyes because I saw you was talking about some kind of bullying that was happening and some, and some bad things that were happening with some companies just to show that they are compliant with vaccines and social distancing. It, it, it was a really eye-opening presentation, so I really do appreciate that. Sure. Well, that's uh, what I bring to the table. That's right. But today, today, what I really wanted to to talk to you about, David, is that, look, it's with the pandemic is just over a year old. It uh, it really changed how people's lives are here in America and the world. Right. Um, but what 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 I really want to talk about is the changes that HR professionals and business leaders need to know about. And let me tell you, it's look, you're an attorney. Right. So you yep. you know more than I do that they do not make this language. They do not make these policies very easy to read and no. for for the regular um hr professional or business leader to fully understand this they are going to need some help with this um sure. they need people with your expertise and a lot of attorneys and just to translate this to the regular associate the regular uh business leader so what i kind of wanted to talk to you today is it's helped me make some sense of this. Help me make some sense of the American Rescue Plan of 2021 and sure. how that that came into play um, from last year with the CARES Act and the uh, FFCRA. Yep. So get, break, break it down for us, uh, okay. David. Help us out. Well, hopefully most of the people listening to this have, are very familiar with the FFCRA, but I'm still finding plenty of businesses that have no clue what the Families First Coronavirus Response Act was. They never put the poster up, even though they're covered by it. Oh. Um, most businesses should have had that poster up from April 1st through December 31st. If they had fewer than 500 employees, the poster should have been up, yeah. uh, unless they're a, a pu public employer. But So hopefully most people are familiar with that. Uh, as everyone that dealt with it knows, uh, the mandate uh, to provide paid leave and uh, expanded family medical leave expired on uh, December 31st, yep. 2020. Um, at the very end of the Trump administration, Congress uh, passed uh, a very short voluntary tax credit, and that expires uh, in a couple of days here at the end of March, March 31st. Um, so what happened with the American Rescue Plan is that it picks up right where that left off, and it expands a couple things. So in general, the American Rescue Plan does provide – there's no mandate, mm -hmm. just like there wasn't a mandate before. So, so no, no one has to, under federal law, provide um, the paid sick leave or the emergency uh, family medical leave. Now, there may be different requirements in different states or certain counties or, or, or 
you know, ordinances. Mm-hmm. But under the new American Rescue Plan, the extension of the FFCRA, uh, there's no mandate. What it is is basically a tax credit. So the and, and as anyone knows with the FFCRA, there's two components. One is the EPSL, the emergency paid sick leave part. And then the other one is the EFMLA. So dealing with the EPSL, all of the old reasons, um, the six reasons on the poster, it was really only five. The, okay. the sixth one is just a placeholder. But um, out of all those old reasons, they still apply. Now there's a new one. And the new one is you can get paid sick leave um, if your employer uh, voluntarily provides it, mm-hmm. and the employer can get a tax credit if um, an employee is testing for COVID. Um, and also, what's new about this is that you don't have to wait for a doctor to to say that the test is necessary. Um, one of the things that's in the American Rescue Plan is specifically that um, an employer can be requesting it. So that's new. But then also, um, if an employee is obtaining immunization related to COVID-19, which means that they're getting the COVID vaccine or if they're recovering from any injury, disability, illness, or condition related to the immunization. So basically if there's side effects, uh, you know, not everyone has them, but a lot of people do have maybe a day or two. Some people have more, um, but, but this would provide paid leave, a tax credit for paid leave for, for any kind of COVID vaccine side effects. So that's, that's some of the big news. Now, one expansion is that some nonprofits will be able to take advantage of the tax credit. Before, under the FFCRA, nonprofits were not allowed to. Um, however, uh, nonprofits that basically any organization described in Section 501c1 mm-hmm. and exempt from tax under 501a. Now, I don't know. I'm not a tax attorney. Um, I know a lot of nonprofits are 501c3s. So I don't know if it's the same thing or if it's a little bit different. You need to get with your tax professional about that. But some nonprofits will be able to take advantage of a tax credit. And it's unclear. Hopefully we get some guidance from the Department of Labor. It's unclear about the public employers. Uh, What the statute says is no credit shall be allowed under this section to the government of the United States or to any agency or instrumentality thereof. So the federal government does not get a tax credit. But possibly local uh, cities, counties, school districts might be able to. It's, it's unclear. We need some guidance from the Department of Labor. But what we're thinking is from some of the language in there um, that perhaps they can take the credit against Medicare taxes. So that is that's an unclear thing. Hopefully we get guidance okay. soon on that. But generally, this is a private company thing. It's going to be a tax credit for most employers across America. When I say most, it still is uh, – you know, for fewer than 500 uh, employees. So the big companies do not get the tax credit. It begins on April 1st and uh, it goes through September 30th. Uh, so that is the nuts and bolts of this. And uh, you, you can't get a, you can't get the tax credit if you're going to discriminate in favor of what's called highly compensated employees mm. or just giving it to just your full-time employees or just your employees with long tenure, you know, uh, <laughs> just your long-term employees. If you can do that, um, it's legally permissible, but you will not get the tax credit if you choose to do that. Uh, basically, you have to pr- provide it to all your employees uh, and comply with, you know, the old FFCRA uh, provisions well, if you're going to take advantage of the tax credit. And, and um that, so that poster that's on the wall is doesn't need to be up anymore. Okay. Department of Labor is probably not going to issue a new poster because there's no mandate. Um, 
It'd be helpful if they did, but frankly, I doubt that they're going to. Hopefully, they add on to some of those FFCRA questions, the Q and A that's at what 105, 106, or maybe they'll issue just a new, uh, you know, blurb here or there. Yeah. But we do need some guidance. Um, also, under the EFMLA, the uh, total amount increased from ten thousand. Uh, now it's going to be going up to twelve thousand. So, so one thing that people don't understand is is about the the EPSL. It gives you ten days of uh, paid leave. And and again, it's not a mandate, but if an employer chooses to voluntarily provide this to their employees, let's say you have an employee that already burned down all 10 days, you know, in the summer or in the fall of 2020, and they don't have anything left. Well, beginning April 1st, they get a whole new bucket of 10 days leave. So you can provide that 10 days of paid sick leave to your employees and you get a full tax credit for that. So frankly, I'm advising all of my clients, there's no reason that they should not be taking advantage of this. It is basically free money. So any, yeah. you know, business uh, that, you know, can fund itself for the next couple months should be providing this to their employees because they're going to get the tax credit for it. Um, and there's a huge incentive for this because you don't want sick employees at work. You got that um, right. You wanna, yeah. I mean, you know, why in the world would you not provide this to your employees and, and force them to take PTO uh, when it's sitting right here and it's basically a big pile of free money yeah. in the form of a tax credit? And and because we all know that if someone has to take their PTO, a lot of people are not going to, and they're just going to come to work sick. And if yeah. I, I've I've had plenty of clients that have dealt with the situation and they've had COVID introduced to the workplace completely unnecessary because they didn't want to to go through the HR hassle of giving the paid leave, which is basically free. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it's a funny, funny you say that piece in the way you said it as far as the incentive, because I did read that part as well about the the government not qualifying for that tax credit. The reason that tax credit is there is to give organizations an incentive to do the right thing. So yes. if the federal government don't get that tax credit, what is the incentive for the leaders in the federal government to do the right thing by the federal employees? Yeah, and, and and that's that's a little tough. I'm not quite sure why um, it's not a mandate. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, I have never seen, and I, I monitor a lot of things all, all across the country, but I've never seen any pushback or backlash from any taxpayers. Um, you know, all these public officials, they're elected. You know, so sometimes it makes sense that they're a little nervous to do something that costs their yeah taxpayers money. Um, but I've never seen any, uh, none of my clients that have voluntarily provided, uh, the EPSL or EFMLA leave. Um, even though they're a public, they're a public employer all through 2020, they didn't get any tax breaks for it. They came out of their, their pocket. Um, I've never seen any pushback from taxpayers saying, wait, this is a waste of money. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, it makes business sense, um, to go ahead and get your, uh, employees out of the workplace if they're sick. You know, this is a great way to get them vaccinated without mandating it. It basically funds it if they go and, you know, need a couple hours off work. We, we've we had crickets from the EEOC. They have not given us any guidance on, uh, you know, what type of incentive is permissible. Yeah. Um, you know, it's unclear. A lot of businesses are just giving three, four hours of paid leave. Um, in order to go get vaccinated, but we don't know if that's, you know, where, where that falls under the wellness regs, um, under the Trump administration, they said, listen, all you can give is a water bottle or a, a very low value, uh, gift card, uh, unknown, maybe 10 bucks. Um, but if you're giving someone four hours of leave 
and they're twenty dollars an hour. That's a heck of a lot more than that. Yeah. I, sus- I suspect that this is probably going to be fine, but it'd be real nice to have the EEOC give us clear guidance on this uh, because a lot of employers don't know where that line is and they're afraid to do this. So they're sitting back, not doing anything at this point. They're not even incentivizing uh, their staff. They're waiting for the EEOC. So. Charlotte Burroughs, if you listen to this, please hurry up and give us some guidance. <laughs> I'm, she's listening right now, man. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's you said something about taking time off um, to go get vaccinated, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, absent any kind of FMLL, FMLA provisions before any of this started, do you have to show proof you actually went to get vaccinated? Yeah, you do. yeah and it's... Um, It'd be nice if the Department of Labor gave us some guidance as to what type of uh, proof is is adequate. But we know, at least under the FFCRA, that very little proof is all that's going to be required. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, if you start asking for too much stuff, it, it can interfere with the ADA in, issues. In um, but under all of the, the FMLA things, all you needed was who is the uh, the healthcare provider that's you know recommending you quarantine. You know, it's just a name. Uh, most employees will give you. Um, you know, hey, uh, this is my COVID test. I tested negative or tested positive. They'll give you that paperwork anyway. Um, so you're usually getting the stuff without any kind of hassle. Um, everyone's posting on social media that little card that yeah. you get when you get vaccinated. <laughs> I, I suspect that will be adequate enough, but it'd be real nice to get some guidance from the Department of Labor, um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Got it. And, you know, so we're talking about how this affects the employee, the W-2 employee, and Mm -hmm. whether you work for a private entity or the government, whether that's local government or federal government. How does this affect the 1099 workforce? How does this affect the gig worker? I mean, what kind of benefits do they get under this rescue plan? I don't think anything. Nothing. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, well. Think about it. How, how could a how can an employer get a tax credit if they're not paying taxes? Yeah. Uh, they're not matching them. If the worker is an independent contractor, then the business owner is not paying any kind of taxes on them. So it's only going to be for your W twos. Wow. Got it. So, what about to receive help as a uh, as as somebody who is a sole proprietor of an organization? For example, the barbershop I go to. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody in that barbershop is uh, is a 1099 contractor. Right. They're not W2 employees. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they're sick, if they ha- if if they want to get vaccinated. Right. How does that affect yep. that relationship with that contractor with with the barbershop owner? Well, that, I mean, that's that's goes with the territory when you're a contractor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you get your own insurance. You get uh, you know, that that's what happens when you're when you're a contractor. I, the example I always use when I give presentations is is the guy that cuts your grass. Um, you know the lawn guy. Um, you know he brings his own equipment. He comes w- w- when it's it's good for him. He starts mowing the left side of the house when it's good for him. It starts mowing the right side. You don't tell him any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and as long as the project gets done, that's all that you care about. If he's a truly uh, properly classified independent contractor. Um, so from that perspective, the barber shop. You know if if Bob is sick and he normally is, is one of the barbers that maybe Tim comes in that day or the, that week mm. and covers for him. Um, but you know, that's, that, that's up to Bob to take care of his own health. I mean, that's, that's what happens <laughs> when you're an independent contractor. That's why they, they buy their own insurance for that kind of stuff. Usually. That is true. That is true. You know what? And, and yes, there are risks, right? Because for you in the exchange for you to have that Liberty, that freedom for you to mm-hmm. kind of make your schedule, you do yep. have to deal with this here. So that yeah. makes sense. Okay, so let's go back to EFML. There's going to be some overlap there, right? Okay, so there, there's going to be uh, some overlap dealing with uh, both the EFML mm-hmm. um, and also the EPSL. And, and basically, under 
the FFCRA. Employers would only be able to give employees the, the full 12 weeks of leave for expanded family medical leave act if, it, if they qualified for reason number five, which is the, the child care, uh, you know, closed or the school closed, mm-hmm. it, it dealt with the children. Um, however, now under uh, this new American Rescue Plan, uh, any of those uh, EPSL reasons, any of those reasons on the poster would also qualify for EFML. And the reason that this is significant is because, as you know, um, the the reasons on the poster I qualify for the EPSL is just two weeks. It's just 10 days yeah. of paid leave. Now, three of those reasons would be 100% of the pay, and then the other ones are two-thirds of the pay. Um, but if you qualify under the EFMLA, that is not 100% of your pay. Mm. However, it can go out twelve, you know, total of 12 weeks. You know, it's an additional 10 weeks on top of what you got for the EPSL. So what's new is that and, and a lot of businesses are scared to death because at the very beginning of the FFCRA, they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't afford to give 10 weeks of leave, to, you know, $10,000 for every employee. Yeah. Well, you didn't need to. It's only for reason number five. However, now any of those reasons can qualify. Again, there's no mandate now. So employers don't have to do this. But if they want to and if, you know, they want to do this for their staff, they can allow their staff to to qualify more than just the 10 days. It, now it's only two thirds of the pay if it's the EFMLA, but that's just an option to help the employees get through something like this if it qualifies. That that lack of a mandate is really crucial, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm putting myself in the in the business owner's shoes, and outside of this, outside of the pandemic and all these uh, all these packages out there, in a in a regular world, when somebody has an accommodation, an ADA accommodation, maybe they need some time off for whatever reason, right? The law says mm-hmm. we got to have a dynamic dialogue. Right. Um, so we have that that dynamic dialogue and then we have to come up, not come up, but if it's unreasonable, undue hardship. All right. Then we can do. But we have to prove that right outside of a hardship. We have to provide that accommodation. Now, the reason that's not a big issue for HR people or business owners is because those reasons are far, I don't want to say they're far and few between, right? But there's a reason that affects just that one employee, which should be different than the next employee. This is a pandemic, though. This affects everybody. So what if you have in a, a, a business that has about 800 employees, or you know what, better yet, 400 employees, that's below that 500 mark, and they all start wanting this kind of leave at the same time? Is there a yeah. hardship process? Well, I mean, it's it, there's no mandate, so the employer can do basically whatever it wants to do. Yeah. It gets, you know, it can say, "Listen, we're not going to give you a full twelve weeks of leave." Um, you know, we think a lot of people are getting vaccinated. We, you know, see spring breaks going crazy, so we're we're going to allow you to take an additional two weeks of leave, um, and and we'll get the tax credit for that. They they can pick and choose parts of this. Um, you know, they, they can just extend the EPSL and not do the EFMLA, or they can mm-hmm. just do the EFMLA and not do the EPSL. That is my best reading of this right now. Yeah. Hopefully, the Department of Labor clarifies that because it's not crystal clear in the statute. Um, but it, again, there's no mandate. So the employer has a lot of flexibility. Uh, so if the employer says, listen, we have a lot of abuse here. We're not going to open up the floodgates and give 12 weeks of leave. We're just going to do a week or whatever. Um, that is well within their ability to do that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, this is <laughs> so I um I that's a part of the of the of this act that I really appreciate, right? Uh, because it doesn't give that mandate, it does give that flexibility to that business to do the right thing. Now, 
as an employee, I guess, if they start seeing that their organization are not doing the right thing and not taking advantage of these credits and all these things that can help them out if they do the right thing, the employee might get wise and just go somewhere else. And that's going to affect, I guess, the turnover of said employee or said employer, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I guess my question is, it's from, from an HR perspective, when you have an employee that comes in and says, I want to do A, B, and C, right? This, this provision, this act is what, six? 600 pages long, 600 pages. So, so what advice do you give that HR professional on how to move forward with all these questions? Because not everybody has an attorney, right? Um, But it's, it's, it's good to have one on staff or good to have one on retainer just in case something comes up. But what advice do you give that HR professional on the best way to take advantage of these credits out there um, made to help them make the right decisions? Well, if, if it appears that it's something that is going to qualify for a tax credit, basically if it's any of those old FFCRA reasons or if it's the new uh, reason, which is getting COVID vaccine or, or due to any kind of side effects from that, then it's just a, really a talk with the company president or the CEO and to determine, is this something that our, our organization wants to do? Um, you know, it's we're going to get a tax credit, you know, so you want to coordinate with your CPA to just make sure that they're on board and they're saying, yep, yep, we can do this and, and how to do it. Um, but it's it's really just a business decision as to whether your business wants to do it. And a lot of times it comes down to the HR pro advising the business owner, hey, here's here's a way that we can give this benefit to our client and cost us nothing. That, mm. Believe me, that that is going mm. to sell this to the CFO, you know, to the accountants, to, to the, all the bean counters. If there's a way to do it and it doesn't cost the business anything, um, then that's that's usually a no brainer. That is spot on right there because that, that's the advice I give all of, all of my clients. It's you got to tie it to a dollar. You've got to tie it. If the, the more you speak, the more of the language of numbers you speak, the better impact you'll make with your, with your business partner. I mean, that is 100% true. So what else do you think HR people should know about this act that is not well known out there? Um, I, I think that's, that, that really is the nuts and bolts of it um, because – most people are familiar with the FFCRA. Yeah. So the, the new part of it really comes down to a, it's not mandatory. It's voluntary. And B uh, it now uh, can provide for the leave dealing with uh, the vaccines, man. And, and, and it's still, <laughs> and you know what? It's nothing like a good pandemic to really force people to put their heads together, put something like this together and then push it out. I'm glad they did. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they did, but I'm with you. I, I really wish there was more, more guidance from the government entities or those uh, other entities that govern these these rules and regulations. But you know what? I can't blame them though, David, because they they are experiencing this the first time as we are, right? Yep. So there's a lot of uncharted waters out there. I'm pretty sure as time goes on and we get used to this pandemic and this new lifestyle that we have, a work style that we have, that we will get more more guidance from the EEOC, more guidance from OSHA. So speaking of OSHA. Mm-hmm. How, 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 how does this change from an OSHA okay. perspective? How does that change um, how we should see safety in the workplace with a pandemic? Sure. Well, um, buried also in that same uh, legislation uh, is, is some appropriation activities. And uh, so now what we have for fiscal year 2021 is $200 million on top of their regular budget that's going to be going to, to various parts of the Department of Labor, including the Wage and Hour Division and mm-hmm. OSHA. And of that $200 million, um, they've earmarked specifically no less than 100 million shall be for OSHA um, 
And of that, five, you know, no less than five million shall be specifically for enforcement activities related to COVID-19 at mm. high-risk workplaces. So this means that there's going to be more OSHA investigators. Um, and what we're talking about with OSHA is is generally, especially like in Florida, where there's no state OSHA, mm. um, it's going to be for, for mainly private uh, companies. So the general duties clause, which basically says that uh, you have to provide employment, a place of employment that is free from recognized hazards, uh, likely to cause death or serious physical harm. Yeah. Um, and that covers mostly most private and uh, sector workers. So if you have a business uh, in Florida, even though there's no state OSHA, um, you know, you're, you're pretty much going to be covered. Um, so what, what does that mean? Does that mean that you have to, um, you know, provide a safe workplace? Generally, yes. Um, the issue comes down to, well, what happens with COVID? Well, you know, if, if it can kill people, then it's probably not something safe that you want in the workplace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty so, much. <laughs> so all, all under the Trump administration, we did not ever have a mandate, basically. In the OSHA terms, it's, it's called a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but first thing uh, Biden did when he took office, in fact, on the first day, was to direct OSHA to come up to determine whether they need to have an emergency temporary standard. Mm-hmm. And, and he gave him a deadline of March 15th, and that has come and gone. However, it's very likely that it's about to come out probably by April 1st. Um, they sent it over to the White House, and usually what happens is the Office of Administration and Regulatory Affairs uh, puts it on their website uh, and says, hey, we're considering this, we're making some tweaks, and then it's going to be issued. Um, but even this morning, I checked the OIRA, and it's not listed there. So so it's it's behind the scenes. It's not there for the public to see yet, but it's about to come out. Yeah. So we don't know for sure exactly what it is. So our best guidance um, comes from OSHA itself. On January 29th, they issued uh, a new guidance uh, dealing with preventing the viral spread in the workplace. And in there, it specifically talked about that they think that employers should be doing certain things, including assigning a workplace coordinator that's responsible for COVID issues on, on the employer's behalf. Mm-hmm. Also, things such as installing barriers where social distancing cannot be maintained, you know, plexiglass barriers. Yep. Also, um, suppressing the spread of the hazard using face coverings. Um, improving ventilation. Now, so all all these types of things are things that the CDC had been, you know, recommending, you know, for the last year. So the issue is if OSHA comes out and says, yes, you must do this, now you can get slammed and, and fined if you don't. Mm-hmm. So this is this is where the hammer is finally going to come down that we never had um, before. Also, OSHA in that document, they're saying, you know what, to the extent that employees can be working from home, guess what? You're not going to be having an unsafe workplace if these people are working from home. So to the extent that people can still work from home, maybe you, you let them still work from home uh, because you're not introducing COVID in the workplace. Also, um, you know, you should be instructing workers who are potentially infected to stay at home. Um, so what this means is that if someone is getting tested for COVID, they do not come to work. Um, you know, if they're waiting for their COVID results and they don't know what it is, the last thing in the world you want to do is bring them into work. That's, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, now, if you're going to do that, then those kind of absences must be non-punitive. Um, that is what that OSHA document says. Now, this has not come out yet. I suspect that that's what the, the temporary standard is going to say. But at this point, it, we don't know. Um, also, there that, that uh, guidance says that you should be allowing them to telework or considering uh, implementing uh, paid leave policies. There's no mandate for paid leave at this time, but that's one thing that it says. Then the last couple things in that document that it talks about is not discriminating against employees. I saw that. And it specifically says that employers may not discriminate against employees for raising reasonable concerns about infection control related to COVID to the employer 
or to the public, such as through social media. So if you got an employee that, you know, is talking about, hey, you know, my workplace doesn't have PPE, I'm concerned about getting COVID here, and they go post that on TikTok or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, and you fire them for that, if this is incorporated into the temporary standard, then that is going to be an OSHA violation. Um, it probably is going to be a Net National Labor Relations Act violation anyway, because it's a term and condition of yeah, employment. I was going to say, but yeah. that that is believe me, Ricky. There's plenty of businesses that don't like stuff that employees do when they post it online and they fire them. But this is a dangerous area. You need to be really concerned before you just knee jerk fire someone uh, for talking about safety issues in the workplace. Yeah, because when 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 I worked for Transform, um, it's it, uh, we we did have some people raise some concerns pre pandemic, not necessarily about about um, um, any illnesses going on, but any cleaning supplies that we use for the bathroom because we had a contractor mm-hmm. that used specific cleaning supplies, and we have associates that were sensitive to those chemicals, right? And and when they complained about it, they they went on Facebook and complained about it. The organization wanted to do something about. It. I'm like, stop, <laughs> no, they're raising a legitimate concern here. Right? right. So regardless whether they went on Facebook, they went to the media, we have to address it. And, exactly. and that was more a Department of Labor or um, um, uh, Labor Relations issue with protected concerted activity. But I'm glad to see that OSHA is stepping in now. And now not, not only do you have to worry as an employer with uh, um, uh, National Labor Relations Board, but also the Department of Labor and OSHA. So mm-hmm. and companies still have an issue with that. Yeah, I don't and, get it. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of a lot of employers are saying, "Hey, you know what? We have certain percentage of the population that's vaccinated. What do we need this rule for?" Well, at the end of the day, we're stuck with this for the next several months. Yeah. Um. And and one thing that is buried at the end of this document that I think is really important, and it's very consistent with what the CDC has given us. But if this turns into a mandate, then this will basically be, you know. Uh, requirement for for private businesses. But one thing that they say is you should not be distinguishing between workers who are vaccinated and those who are not. And what this means is that workers who are vaccinated must continue to follow protective measures, such as wearing a face covering and remaining physically distant. I have plenty of businesses that are like, well, you know what, in two weeks, we're going to have 100% of our staff, you know, vaccinated. So we don't need to wear a face mask anymore. Uh uh-uh, that's not yeah. the way it works. Um, first of all, even if they have Pfizer or Moderna or whatever, it's not 100% effective. Yeah. Even the highly effective ones are only 95% effective. So some of these people could still spread COVID. Uh, plus, we don't know really enough about COVID as to whether someone, even if they're vaccinated, exactly how the transmission is. But so in order to cover this, they're going to say that even if you have employees that are vaccinated, they're still going to have to wear face masks. Yep. And if they can't social distance, uh, you know, wear those masks, but otherwise they should be social distancing. You can't just, you know, think it's back to 2018 again. <laughs> you got that right. Well, look, there, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of information that's still being processed and trying to understand. And I can only assume more information is going to come out. A, uh, for example, all those different guidances that should come out from those different entities. So I'm just happy that we know people like you. David, that can actually take a deep dive and truly understand and then translate that to the business leader and to the HR pro. That way they can focus on what's really important, and that's making sure that their associates are safe, making mm-hmm. sure that they have a safe place to work, and that they have the time off required No, that that they need to be able to handle their business. Because here's the thing, David, and, and you know this, and this is I'm saying this more for the audience. The thing is, is that, yes, taking care of your employees and make sure they're safe is not enough. 
because they may have other family issues. They may have a parent living with them or they may have a significant other that is not working and they need some help or especially the kids who they may be um, 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 going to school virtually. So as an, as an organization, as business leaders, as just human beings, just overall do the right thing. And folks, if you do the right thing, then trust me, the right thing's going to happen for your organization because if you bend over backwards for your associates, the right associates are going to bend over backwards for you. I'm not saying everybody, there's a, a small percentage that will not, that's fine. You'll take care of them later, but focus on the people who make that needle turn for you. So, You're right. So, David, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I would love to have you back here again uh, once we get more information on this that we just need some kind of dissecting and taking a deep dive. Thank you very sure much. Thing. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. You too, Ricky. Bye-bye. Well, folks, I hope that was fun and informative. There's more information coming down the pike as we continue on. Trust me. And as soon as we get that information, we'll get David back on the air to decipher it all. Thank you very much. Have a good one. On behalf of Ricky Baez, the entire HR Talk podcast team, and crew behind the scenes, thank you very much for your time today. Drive safe. Have a good night.